0: Welcome to the Tokens Podcast. We're so happy to welcome our guest, Maureen Mock, with us today. Hi to Jeff first. I don't want to ignore you, my co-host, Jeff Allen.
1: Nobody puts Jeff in the corner. Hi, Iris. How are you? Uh, So happy to be here. So happy to meet you, Maureen.
0: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Iris. It's great to be here. Yes, we're so happy to have you. Let Why don't you, we know you, and we're so happy to have you, but our audience doesn't know you, so would you mind just introducing yourself? My name is Maureen Mock. I am a PhD candidate right now,
2: um, studying, um, pursuing my doctorate at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Almost done, just writing a dissertation at this point, wrapping it up. Um, and what I, what I study in kind of my specialty is uh, communication, Media cultural studies, and specifically the world of um, responsibility, censorship, um, parents, children's media, and um, I come I come to my graduate work as like a very long twisted path, which is the best way to be in my in, I don't think I I don't think I could have done this 10, 20 years ago, but I came, um, I'm a former television executive. Um, I worked as a censor for Fox Broadcasting for a decade, um, and also uh, more recently, and how we met Iris is, uh, and Jeff, you were there at some point too, uh, worked at Mattel, uh, the kids toy company, um, overseeing all kinds of Fun entities um, from Hot Wheels to Monster High, uh, making sure that our commercials and our content were safe um, and um, safe for kids, um, safe for regulatory standards. And so I I was part of the standards and practices department within the regulatory department. And essentially that's I'm a censor. I come from I was like the the no person, I was the uh, fun police, as my husband calls <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you hear stories about like standards and practices. I mean, I, you do on like TV shows and stuff where like they go through the script or something and they they give you your quota on curse words, how many you can use, which ones, blah blah blah. So that that was the job.
2: Yeah, that was the job. Um, I mean, just a couple you know, case examples. You know, going toe to toe with Simon Cowell about. Um, you know how we're going to handle voting on the X Factor, or you know which songs a person can sing and, and why. You know a mention of um, you know everything from product integration. We were X Factor was sponsored by Pepsi and I think Ford, and so therefore, like a mention of you know take my Chevy to the levee and a Don McLean song could be problematic. Um, and then i Master Chef and Master Chef Junior with Fox Broadcasting is you know making sure kids feel safe and protected, and that you know how are we responsibly um, doing a competitive television show with children and um, you know, things like who will be kicked off. And we, we made sure that there was never just one child ever singled out. Uh, there was always like two that would leave a show at the same time. And, you know, there was times where the, an oven broke. So the competition stops. We all start over to make sure everybody has the same opportunity to, you know, create a great souffle for a competition. And then dev- I've done a ton of um, scripted programs to everything from... John Stamos's grandfather to um, Family Guy, Simpsons, um, working on Bones, working on a ton of different fun shows to deal with the blood and the gore and the violence and the language, uh, sexual depictions, um, just racial depictions. And and then because I really wanted to try out something a little different, moved into the children's realm. Um, And it, it definitely paired with me having kids myself. So I currently have a, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and um, you know, it's a game changer where you realize there's this whole other world of content, and I think this onus of responsibility where it it bounces back and forth between the parent, the regulator, the the content creator, the producer. Um, and the precedent of like, who's in charge? And actually that's the title of my dissertation It's called the Grown Ups in the Room. Um, but we're considering like uh, just decades of responsibility of who, who was in charge, uh, everything from radio up to parental controls and the platformized television now.
1: Um, Yeah. So certainly like in in the days of broadcast, like as all of that stuff was born and began to evolve, a critically important job, right? Safeguarding our children, obviously hugely important. But today with access to everything, all the information, the internet, kids with their iPads, fair to say that it is more important now than it has ever been?
2: Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, I think the first thing I'd say is Yes, like that—that that is the feeling in our world. That is this is more—you know, never, never has it been more important to protect our children and navigate, you know, the the technology at hand. But honestly, like I go back to the archives in the 1930s of how NBC handled this crazy new technology at the time, which was radio broadcast, and the exact same language that you just said was being printed and you know discussed in in Congress during huge discussions of violence and broadcasting and how, how will we handle this and how, what will happen? And is this going to replace books? And, you know, shouldn't children just be outside, not inside listening to the radio. So I think part of, I think one of, you know, my arguments and always kind of a deeper seated philosophy is we we're constantly as parents and as content creators, um, like navigating what's next on technology and then just making sure that people feel supported on it. But at the same time like we're getting inundated right now from a parent perspective yeah there's a lot more to deal with than just 20 channels on the radio or you know the, the blessed days of like 1950s golden era television where there was just three if you were so lucky is to you know get uh, all three stations um, so there's a lot more there's a lot more to you know navigate and I feel like parents in particular feel like they're just constantly like dodging one thing to do the next and it's almost sort of like that like you know, Masters of the Universe, He-Man, like, Shield, like, oh my gosh, like, oh, and then, and then this, and then the kid's cell phone, but now what is Snapchat? And, you know, like, TikTok. Comes, and you know, and even, I think, even in the standards and practices that, especially at Mattel, we notice this, like, the, and every day a new platform was kind of emerging, and how do we, how do we, as a as a company, or do we want to play in that sandbox, or do we need to pull back? Uh, so, yeah, it's it's making sure that these regulatory standards, even if they're not there yet, That the companies are doing well upon the users, in this case, oftentimes parents and kids, Um, and then just, just like I think, like one thing I would say, we standards of practice people have been using this term since the fifties, but um, the conscience of the company, it's like that thinking about the ethics of why why are we doing this and is this okay? And sometimes it's what's nice is, uh, and even even as I kind of consult these days when I'm not like rooted in one particular company all the time is thinking about, I I don't have as much, I don't have a a direct horse in the game all the time or in the race horse in the race. Right. Like, so I can actually think like, I didn't write the content. I didn't edit it. I didn't film it. And I'm not paying for it. Uh, so therefore I can sort of like, think a little bit outside the box to say like, how will this, how does this reflect upon you? And you know, how, how are people going to feel about this? And I think my specialty has always been thinking about it from the parents' perspective, both like in the, the actual reality of how will it affect them, but then also how does it make them feel um, and enabling them who are also just trying to enable and do the best upon their kids.
0: That makes sense. How do you, yeah, it totally makes sense. How do, you, <laughs> how do you think tech and kids' media companies can do better? There's some there's some good things happening.
2: Um, and so I think there was kind of a wild west even five, 10 years ago where um, kind of with the, the YouTube as companies saw like, oh my gosh, kids have all pivoted from watching Saturday morning cartoons to moving over to this platform called YouTube, which had been around for a while, but it took a while for, I think the cell phones and like iPads to really enable access to it in that way. And then I think like, there was this moment where all the big brands and major toy companies, and then just kind of pop up influencers, which we now call them, but essentially YouTube families and kids were saying like, we can make millions if we just put unboxing videos and, you know, just the day in the life sort of stuff. Um, And that, you know, that has all since been very much clamped down and as the, whether you're a major toy brand or whether you're a, um, you know, mom and dad and child who seeks to find fame on YouTube by playing with toys. You can't, you can't just sell products to kids on a platform that is, you know, age thirteen and up anymore. Um, so, YouTube and some of the other major streamers have done a much better job of offering better parental controls, of protecting kids' privacy, of taking away. Um, some of the access, whether it be, you know, the like, subscribe, comments below type, you know, stuff. Um, also keeping, keeping kids within one place rather than sending them, you know, out of one walled garden of, you know, YouTube kids to then be like, oh, and now find us on Instagram, you know, and popping them into three different platforms that are all, you know, not necessarily privacy protected for kids. So already there's been a lot of really big developments. And, you know, and unfortunately some of those came because I think, small and large, some companies were taking advantage and just, you know, kind of looking to not, and not like from a nefarious point of view, like, ah, oh, we will get to your children, but just trying to get in front of this new market skate and, and also in front of kids who are a great, you know, demographic of consumers. Um, so a lot has already been done. There's more to come. I mean, I think, I think in, California, right now, they are, um, they just recently introduced legislation, which is not to say it will like get passed exactly as is, but essentially thinking about um, some of the legislation that's been done in in the United Kingdom, for example, it's um, the age appropriate design code legislation. Have you heard of this?
0: Yeah. Tell us, but Jeff's just shaking his head. So tell us. Age appropriate design code.
2: Um, This online safety policies that are being built into domestic and international um, over and it will be codified by law is the idea. And basically, you know, around the world, governments are starting to require that companies do more moderation of harmful content. Um, There's still this question, especially in, you know, a First Amendment uh, free speech country such as America, that we hope to continue, um, that we want to protect free speech, obviously, at the same time. So there's always this very delicate balance of when are we moderating um, and when are we protecting free speech and protecting children. Um, But there are some things that are being done as far as implementing age verification, identification tools with respect to users' privacy, um, transparency measures in general, just not being so opaque about What's happening on the back end, um, you know, or you know, under the thing of like, well, we don't want to expose trade secrets type thing. So a lot of it is just making sure it's very much in keeping with the UK's age appropriate design code, which started in September 21, um, and it's a little bit different than like the GDPR. But essentially, it's like some examples is checking the age of a kid before they come to your site or download your app or your game. Uh, switching off any kind of geolocation services, not doing like the nudge techniques to encourage you to kids to buy more or give more, give away more data and just a high level of privacy by default, um, which is, I think, like one thing that you know, Iris have really admired with the, the plans for your company is that it's um, you you have to opt out rather than opt in. And can talk about that more. So
0: more. much of our, yeah, so much of our dialogue around parental controls comes down to what is the, what's important for the company to be uh, corporately conscious, conscience of, and mm-hmm. what is, what is on the responsibility of the parents. And historically, so much of the onus of media controls has been on the parents. And that's a lot. It's a lot for parents to, to, to manage. And so the idea that the company has a responsibility that we've like defaulted to the most conservative sets of, of controls and permissions mm-hmm. is just one way of saying, okay, we're, we're going to take on some of that responsibility and burden of, of moderating the kids media experience. Right.
2: Yeah. And that makes a big difference to just think, you know, as a parent, i me put on like my parent hat for a minute. When you download an app, onto my kids <clears throat> we have one ipad and we generally try to keep youtube just on the tv for them um but what do, what do i need to know what are all like the secret things that they're <laughs> using so if the idea is the, that everything is automatically as locked down as possibly can be to start with and instead they need permission to to do to go that extra mile like that takes a lot of the burden off the parent immediately, like we, you know, you're operating in the safest possible conditions. Eventually, sure, if you want to let them message with a particular friend, okay, like we'll do that. But that it's not a given to start with. Versus, what do we always talk about, like the candy aisle
0: at a grocery store? Oh yeah, the, the like the impulse buy <laughs> at the very yeah. End. You
2: know how like there's some maybe it's not even as much of a thing anymore because people don't pandemic. We kind of stopped taking our kids shopping, but like. There was like the grocery store aisle that didn't sell candy bars, like in the aisle for a long time. And this idea that for once a parent could just like cruise through and do the thing and not have to constantly be saying no. And I think like, it's nice to just actually just be the pleasant parent sometimes and not always be the the no person, like the fun police, like me. So the idea is if you, if you just give them, this is the thing. And then if a, Parent chooses to grab the candy bar and add something in. Great, like later we do that, but it's not constantly putting the parents like on the defense.
1: So, um, what is the difference between what you're describing with these new design regulations, and like COPA compliance, which I have heard of?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, COPA is pretty small, and I am not an attorney, so I, I can't speak to it as well as some, I think some others can.
0: But Co- COPA, COPA is being very- of course. COPA yeah, so being, a, of course the ch- the children's online the children privacy online, and protection. privacy protection yeah. yeah
2: and this is introduced by Senator Ed Markey in Massachusetts uh, years ago to to you know start to start something you know let's let's stop just like blatantly taking data from children and using it um, in their kind of their legal their human their cultural footprint you know, for years to come, like, let's stop collecting all the information about a child as using this. So the idea is that when you are in a COPA compliant um, game or app, is that the company is not using your every keystroke and move or name or age or birth date um, or location, and not only just using it for their own, you know, edification and market market strategies, but actually then selling it to potential other larger clients that all of a sudden, you know, you're, they're getting postcards in the mail. <laughs> you know, just there's so much information that, you know, and there's a lot, there's still a lot happening with that. I was reading about, um, you know, the college admissions, they can mark how many times you have visited and they do, this is not, they can, they do mark how many times you have visited their website uh, before you actually put in your college application to know how serious you are. You know, have you been looking at, the you know website for Cornell admissions for and not this is just an example um, for the past three years or did you just look it up yesterday before you submitted your application so things like that even like that can follow you you know they can make major changes in your potential outcome as a adult um, and obviously with job applications and um, just even what jobs you are served as you know as possibilities if you were to do a Google search. Uh, Sophia Noble wrote a great book about that called "The Algorithms of Oppression." But so there's mm. there's a lot of amazing um, data points that can really help a company or an institution or you know a hiring organization make decisions and kind of thin slice who they want to hire, who they want to bring on, or what's the right thing. But like a, a a kid doesn't deserve that, you know. Like they're still in the process, and they're they're there to have fun. They're there to learn. Um, sometimes they're on a site because they happen to be, you know, looking at it along with a friend. So this is, this protects them. And that's the child online privacy protection act. Um, This is thinking the, the other legislation coming out and what the UK and other companies or sorry, countries are doing more is thinking about the larger, like the overall infrastructure of a site or of a game or of a platform. Um, And so we, and honestly, this is, this legislation is, that was introduced is just a week old but iris you've been thinking about this for a year <laughs> so good job
1: <laughs> so like as a parent um I, when i'm like vetting applications for my kids you know they, they come to me they bring me the ipad or whatever and they say I, I want this and they, they're already on the app store page and they just want me to click the button put in the password and download the app mm-hmm. so as a parent in this situation, like what should I be looking for to understand at a glance or, you know, even with a little more research, like what, what am I looking for to ensure that it's safe for my kid, that it's, that they are listening to these, these things and designing with families and kids in mind.
2: It's hard to kind of make those like, like need your, I'm struggling, like quick section, just, you know, decisions because yeah, like I, and I struggle with it too. Like, and, and you, the honest answer is always at the most inopportune time or you're like the the one time we really kind of give our kids full fledged, you know, Amazon fire or whatever kind of opportunities is like we're getting on a plane. <laughs> so it's usually the night before. <laughs> that we're like, no, like, I got to pack. Like, sure, you can have whatever this shark munching, eat, eating thing is like, okay. But, you know, the, the things that I would say, there's, there's two kind of frameworks to think about it is one, um, like. a little bit more meta and which is more fun and this is not what you have time for the night before getting on a flight it's like is this good for them like well is is this something you know sometimes there's just time killers like you know there's like my kids have a game that they just shave santa's face you know like it's like a cute little thing and they give santa claus haircuts like that's not gonna kill anybody they're not learning anything but that's okay like that's fine this is is truly fun for them um, is and Santa that's really Santa without the beard though. There's <laughs> yeah, something just weird about this. <laughs> and you can do other things like you can decorate them, but like, yeah, it's, that's literally all it is. Um, and then, and that's great. Like sometimes that's just nicer to like, okay, this is a no brainer. Um, and then there's the cost. Like what is it going to cost you as a, as a parent? Like how much is the download? Uh, but the free, the free type of apps can be more problematic because there's, there's hidden cost And like, okay, you get the free game, but then you're going to get hit up 10,000 more times by the kid will to buy into the next level or, you know, have some sort of other access. Um, or ads. Or ads, obviously. It's so the, I mean, the ads, God, the pop-up ads. Um, and then sometimes, like if I'm actually like really putting a lot of thought into it, it's what do I want them to learn? What do I want them to get out of this? You know, and that's those are like the meaningful apps that I think parents for the first time really leaned into, especially in a pandemic where those who were probably and I've done. I think I should mention this is I've done um, part of my research is speaking to parents um, here in the US kind of across different socioeconomic statuses, everything from Alaska to Hawaii, um, about their screen time usage and kind of their belief systems pre pre pandemic in the heart of things, like what's a day-to-day, and then kind of hopes for moving forward in, you know, air quotes, like our post-pandemic society, hopefully, we'll see. The new normal. You know, whatever the new normal would be. And, you know, so a lot of that has evolved, and I can speak to that further. But um, getting back to the point is, I think the... There is something where you go, parents who maybe were kind of shy on ever even giving their kids screens to start with, which was me, um, all of a sudden they're issued two Google Chromebooks from school and an iPad and we were we were in this world. And I had a kindergartner and a first grader at that point. Not the world I wanted to play in, but this was this is what we had to do. Mm-hmm. And I was still teaching courses virtually and there's still a lot happening and we're both trying to like work and do these things and- we had to fill their day with more screens. Um, and there, then I put some thought into it. Like how, what can they get out of this? Like how, how can they one connect like socially in a way that helps them feel like they're not just, and helps me feel like they're not just sitting there with the screen and two could they freaking learn something while we're doing this?
0: Right. Yeah. Let's, that's talk, really important. About, let's talk about this screen time thing because obviously there is a, recommended amount of time but there's also the importance of defining what screen time actually yeah. is can you mm-hmm. help us with this like what is what actually is screen time and what is the recommended amount of screen time i mean
2: the entire idea of i think um the entire idea of trying to decipher what screen time is and how much to regulate i think the general understanding is we throw it out the window because how do you possibly, and I think this is where a lot of kind of that like cognitive dissonance came from early on is the American Academy of Pediatrics has for a very long time instituted a no screen time at all for kids to and under, um, and then no more than two hours per day uh, for children in general. And then we hit the pandemic. Um, and first of all, nobody was ever doing that to start with, and I'm sure you've like <laughs> get that little laminated checklist at your kid's annual well-being, <laughs> well, baby check, and like how many hours of screen time? Like, ah, yeah, under two, sure. Like, I don't know, but it, that wasn't always the case even then. And, and same for me. And I study this, but like, Saturday mornings were like go nuts. You <laughs> cart blanche, watch cartoons, and and I hearken that back to like my days of growing up watching like traditional st- Saturday morning cartoons. And I enjoyed that as a kid. And I'm sure my parents enjoyed us making couch forts and leaving them alone for four hours. And so that we continue this tradition. Um, and there's a lot of nostalgia built into decisions around screen time by American parents. And then I w- would say this, this research is now continuing internationally. So the same kind of set of qualitative interview, like hour long interview questions are being repeated now and, Colombia, China, Korea, um, UK, Australia, Canada, uh, Denmark. So we're kind of getting more data points to see like where like those cultural and different country articulations came and where it's very much the same. Um, So screen time, there was this two hour thing and then pandemic hits. You know, what are you going to do? Like, does... FaceTiming timing grandma and grandpa, who you now can't see to keep them safe, count? If you if you put them in front of your phone for an hour? Is that an hour of screen time? Like right. you know, does, does remote schooling count? Right. So there's four hours. Does PE, you know, jump rope lessons with your with your physical education teacher at the public school remotely count? Like, no, I don't think so. Um, what about when you're like zooming in to look at the Philadelphia zoo and see the new eagles being born on, you know, kind of their zoo camera. Like, does that count? Like, maybe, like, I don't know. Like, and I think, I think where, where the chips, and then also there was some kind of conflicting news articles coming out, um, kind of early in the pandemic, the university of Michigan, um, I I have to remember her name. She, she was the one that actually like wrote the screen time rules, um, for the APA, she basically said, throw them out the window. Like, don't worry, parents, just do what you got to do to survive. And then a year and a half later in the New York Times, there was this big article with this kind of like dimly lit, holding a screen photo of a boy and his parents kind of hovering over him saying that they lost their kid to Fortnite and oh, the regret that they you know gave them so much screen time. And it was just really kind of on this, this dark, sad side of like worst case scenario of kids and screen time. And they quoted this researcher, again, um, this expert in the field on kind of children and screens about saying like, I kind of regret that we said, throw it out the window because I didn't think the pandemic was going to last so long. (laughs) Right. So what do you do? You know, so then parents are kind of hearing like, Oh, oh," we're constantly being asked to pivot and adjust about what's the right thing. Um, And ultimately I think the right thing is, Finding that balance and deciding, you know, yes, if you're if you're having to zoom into a school or a classroom meeting, like eh, that's probably not like your typical screen time, but you still want to give kids that opportunity to walk away from a screen, do something else, socialize. And I think a lot of parents found that even just within their own families, depending on age and just the kind of like genetic like makeup of their kids, some kids do okay with vegging out for a couple hours in front of a show or on an iPad playing a game, and some like they would pay the price afterward because they would just kind of have meltdowns. It would take another hour or two to kind of reacquaint them to society at home after they took away the screen. So it's, it's a lot of just internal adjustment for a parent and the decision makers, which again is tough.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like you're saying quality should play a big role in this consideration too, rather than just like the quantity. So you need to like, is it quality screen time versus just you know mindless screen time? Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, balance is super important. I've even heard the opposite side of the argument now. I, I I'm I've talked with parents who are saying that they restrict so much screen time or restrict the tablets, the access to all that stuff, and they feel like they're putting their child at a deficit Mm -hmm. in a world that is trending in a direction of becoming more and more digital, that now they're behind their cohort that is very native and can do all these things within this digital world. And their kids have been held at arm's length from it for the first five, six years of their life. And all of a sudden, you know, it's foreign to them. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a balance just with anything. And I think like that is a time and time tested, you know, going back to early technology, I mean, even when there was like zoetropes and pop up puzzle books in the Victorian ages, there was this conflict of like this, these, this technology, these games are taking away from our kids learning the piano, you know, so this, not even just with broadcasting and kind of the digital side of internet that has, you know, come upon us in the past couple of decades, but like you got to just make sure you're giving your kids some sort of like healthy balance. Um, And I actually think another big thing, and this is, this is very kind of emerging research, but some of those connections about, and I think it's a huge stress factor for parents, um, social media and kids and depression. And there is a huge connection that we haven't totally properly researched yet, but just it's a lot of it's just sleep. You know, where, where are we taking away? So like, if you're taking Yes, kids need to get out and get exercise and they need to socialize. But another just issue is that phones are, you know, being taken to bed. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for a teenager in those years that you, like I have done the doomsday scrolling myself where you're just like, oh, let me just set my alarm and oh, let me check Twitter. All right, <laughs> don't go down that road. You know, and to some extent, you know, kids are doing that too. And it, it takes an hour of sleep away from, you know, my own self. And this is, you know, I think like, gravely affecting kids. And this is, this is very yeah. kind of new. There was an article in the Atlantic about it actually two days ago, but um, some interesting research coming out to make those connections that it's not so much always just the content or just the quality, but it's, it's a balance again of finding the right things for your kid. And I think making decisions, even just one-on-one basis about what do they need and then just knowing when to kind of say, okay, like let's, let's back it up a little bit, but that yeah. t- that assumes a parent at home That assumes somebody right there with them. Um, And we all know that's not how screens work either. Um, Whether you're like a mom or dad cooking dinner and you give your kids 20 minutes TV time so that you can actually focus for a minute and get something on a table. Or whether you're giving your middle school child a cell phone because you're a single parent and you're at work until 7 p.m. and you need to make sure they get off the bus safely. Um, so, there's a lot of other reasons kids have screens besides just like a mom sitting there, like, let's go learn about <laughs> this thing today. Let's check in on the eagle's nest at the Philadelphia Zoo. Like, there's a lot of screens that are being used unsupervised. Uh, and, you know, as not necessarily as just an electronic babysitter, but as a safety net, um, as a lifeline sometimes. So, you know, those, those are things to incorporate too.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like it's really clear that this is just a really complex issue. And that's why your experience, Maureen, and your cutting edge research and your context as a mom has been just so valuable to me, to us, you know, as we've been kind of navigating very uncharted waters when it comes to not only this the screen time and, and device issues, but Web3, Metaverse, DeFi, you know, NFTs, right? This is such a brave new world that... Uh, not only our families, but our kids are entering into. I feel like it's just, you know, it's so important to be mindful about these things in Mm -hmm. the uncharted waters.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've introduced me to a lot of these uncharted waters. Like I was still just living in this nice TV app game side. And, you know, when you're like, what do you know about the dojo? (laughs) It's like, I know nothing. So it's been, it's been, you know, and you're right, like Jeffy, and what you're saying is these are these are new places to go. You don't want your kid to be completely. I I wouldn't advocate for like raising your child screen free, because um, that doesn't set them up for success in society either. Is the the ultimate understanding is that we we will continue kind of like moving and and using screens, and I think I've probably fought that. It's hard, like, you know, personally, and it, w- it took a pandemic to go like, all right, I guess my kids are going <laughs> to learn how to navigate a Chromebook at kindergarten, um, you know, and I and, pa- and parents still, like, a lot of the response in kind of like mid-pandemic was, I just want my kid to bring home a piece of paper that they wrote and did something on and show it to me. Like, I miss that. I miss, just like, show me something you did, tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so there's, we remember this and, and I think kids still ultimately are drawn to that, but it doesn't mean that we can't play in, you know, the, the metaverse and that we can't kind of like introduce kids to these, this world that is happening and, you know, whether we like it or not. Um, but there's good things, you know, like I think about kids aren't learning cursive anymore, but like then, and I argue like, well, how would they do a signature? And a college student, like an undergrad laughed, like, I never sign anything. It's all digital. Digital signature.
1: DocuSign. <laughs> yeah.
2: Good Lord. Like, this is like, well, how would you fucking yeah. like <sighs> Venmo? And like, there's, you know, this is, you know, I'm so old school in comparison and I think I'm like hip and trendy. And, you know, then my yeah. family reminds me that I'm the fun police.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. Digital is replacing physical everything. Mm-hmm. And you bring up such a good point. Like I was it just went in my head, as you were saying, like, you know, I miss it when kids bring home something from school and like, let me see what you did today. And you hold it, you look at it. And it, it, I love those moments too. And I'm never, like, I take it seriously, right? I give like the best feedback when I get that thing in my hands and I'm like so interested in it, even if it's a terrible chicken scratch drawing, right? Mm-hmm. You You go, you try hard to find the redeeming characteristics and let your kid know that they're on the right path. And as I'm thinking that, It just occurred to me like every single day my kid comes to me with his iPad Mm. and tries to tell me about – the milestones that he crossed in Roblox or whatever he's doing. And I'm so quick to dismiss it. Yeah, And, and maybe that's wrong. You know, he's coming to me to show me like the, the productivity of the day. Mm-hmm. And why, why don't I jump into that with him and, you know, get involved and, and give him the feedback that he's probably so craving as a kid. I'm going to really rethink the next time that he does that.
2: There you go. I, and actually, I'm the same, 100. You're like, okay. And I notice even my kids are so, they're they're creators. Like they want to make, um, you know, like they're domino toppling right now and setting up all these cool colored dominoes to then design them, and it knocks over a Dixie cup and a marble. But then in their head, they're making a video. They're making a YouTube for it. Um, and you know, and sometimes like I have put like two on my YouTube privately for them but like it's they're creating and first my first reaction was like oh this is so terrible this means they're watching so much youtube that they you know want this and this is they can only think that way and then i i realized i was reflecting on you know growing up i i very much remember this day but i, I for some reason i was watching a lot of like pbs gardening shows <laughs> this is like circa 1986 or so and um and cooking shows and I remember taking a basket and walking into my neighbor's garden and picking all of their green beans and, and, and the, and the repercussions that followed as I like pillaged the neighbor's garden. (laughs) But in my head, I was making a gardening show. um, And I was kind of talking and narrating what we were doing. Um, It might've been like, even like based off of a Sesame street skit, now that I think about it. But like, so I, I was already like performing that, you know, so we're always kind of performing and, you know, um, my daughter's holding a science TV, like getting me when I'm most vulnerable. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so we, I think kids naturally do that. And I think we always have done that to some extent. It, to, we're influenced by the influencers, but it can be on a different, you know, different screens in different ways.
0: But yeah, it's interesting that's so funny just like it just goes to show we've always been doing the things that the, the this generation is doing it's just a different level and maybe a different access point right but mm-hmm. those those are just very human responses to see to media in any form it seems right. like and I think that the balances that we strike are just all so unique and individual like for example another one of our companies, another one of Crypto's and Kitty's consultants um, has a balance in extremes where he he is heavily involved in the world of decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, right? That's his like job. And on the other hand, his like life's passion and hobby is um, like survivalist, like being a survivalist and being able to live in the wild and off the grid. And it's just these amazing extremes that kind of boggle my mind. But I think we we're all like finding our way, navigating our very heavily digitized world, Mm -hmm. right, and balancing that with real life physical experiences and real life physical relationships. Mm -hmm.
2: And that's a good way to be, you know. That's that's I think the ultimate advice and takeaway is, you know, find the balance. You know, don't be. I think the biggest thing when like pick up at the playground after school with my family is a lot of like moms in particular. You know, we're in Wisconsin. There's more like Opportunity to be as a stay at home mom. Um, and I or parent and dads. And they'll say, like, oh, so you study screen time, like, oh, you don't even want to know what I, you know, the things that I have like it's like it's a deep dark secret that they're like plop their kid in front of a game or an iPad or you know, we we have Nintendo Switch, or you know, those like it's and I think like it's a confession takeaway, or something. Yeah. <laughs> and the biggest takeaway for me on that is like you need to not feel bad. Uh, I think that's you know, don't don't feel guilty that's that's called responsabilization like do not feel bad that your child is attracted to the you know the fabric of the culture of our society and it's not just american society and it's not just adult society it's a, it's a kid society too this is part of kids culture you know our kids will go around to different especially in pandemic when we were kind of like easing up and they could play in each others yards and garages and they came home and they basically were popping between people's garages with their Amazon Alexas and making their own playlists. And then they would like have a cool name. Like my, my son has like a robot playlist and he's my robots. And then like, obviously there's some cool parents because like on it it's queen and uh, like a guns and roses song. So they were getting influenced, but they were using technology socially to share music and, you know, and then kind of go between these other devices to do so in a, in a very interesting, cool way. And that's their culture. It's, it's Pokemon. It's they're collecting songs just like they could be collecting baseball cards or Pokemon cards, um, or, you know, rocks for that matter.
0: (laughs) Nothing like a good old fashioned rock collection. Yeah. So Maureen, I mean, this is just great. And I think it's really helpful and great messaging for parents to lose that sense of guilt. And what did you call it? Responsibilizing? Responsibilization is the Responsibilization. British, kind of British term with the V. Um, but yeah, this
2: idea of, you know, we're, we're a culture where I think we have accumulated a lot of like guilt as parents. So, and, and honestly, my pushback is, we don't have time for this as parents, all three of us included, to go like March picket line to say, we need better parental controls or, hey, platforms, you need to do better to, you know, label the content that you're putting up here for my kid on Netflix. But um, that what you can do is recognize, like support the companies that are doing good things, that are supporting families, um, support the companies like the nonprofits. I would like, like highlight Common Sense Media in this case of a company that, um, an organization rather that is, like kind of just keeping tabs on what what sort of kids' content and games and platforms are out there and does some kind of honest reviews. And actually, one thing I really like about them too is, you can they have professional reviewers that review, uh, and this is I have no affiliation with Common Sense Media, but and then parent reviews and then kids can review. And I think it's like recognizing like kids have agency too, kids have rights. Um, I do a lot of I've done a couple of publications on like children's digital rights. Um, and with that comes like parents' rights. Like parents have a right to to understand that like a, a platform will be safe for their kids, they have a right to like not be scared to download an app. Um, but even the like just last year, United Nations um or United Nations, there's a committee on the rights of children. they adopted general comment 25, um, which is on children's rights in relation to the digital environment, and basically acknowledged for the first time like in writing and and also brought children, uh, hundreds of children in to write these words, but essentially to say, um, that acknowledge that children have rights um, and And that digital devices should not be harmful they shouldn't substitute for, you know, human interaction, but at the same time, like acknowledge that um, they should be done, it should be used appropriately and that kids are relevant actors, that they should be taken into account with the research, with the digital technology. Um, And that I think also just recognizing the fact that United Nations brought this to this level and to like put that into words kind of also shows like Digital technology is not going anywhere, right? Like, it's it's part. It's actually getting written into the code of how they how a human humanity should be treated. And I think one thing they say is the use of digital technology can help to realize children's participation at the local, national, and international levels. Um, we should promote the awareness and access to digital means and uh, make sure that we're supporting kids equally to access that. You know, just today. May 13th, Jessica Rosenworth, uh, Jessica Rosenworth, so she's the FCC chairperson, the federal communications chairperson, Um, she enacted a rule to maintain or create Wi-Fi on school buses, public school buses across the country, which would give kids potentially, especially in rural areas, one to two more hours of Wi-Fi access per day um, so they could do their homework, so they could you know, do their research, do this sort of work on the way to and from school.
0: Well,
1: wow. <laughs> there's probably close to zero chance that that's what they're going to be doing with the Wi-Fi. But yes, totally understand. Approve. I
2: used to literally do my homework on the school bus. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I shouldn't even say it. I'm such a nerd. But like, I did. <laughs> I but it, it, it's that much more of an access data point for that point of time um, that, you know, it's it's a kid's, it's a right that, you know, we, we need to do better in the U S to make sure kids do have broadband access that, you know, um, those types of things. It's, it's a start. Uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, it's access is such a huge part of what we're trying Mm -hmm. to bring to families and kids, right. Via the tokens platform. I guess I would just like to ask in closing Marine, do you have, what, what kind of final advice would you have for parents who are navigating this new space? Like I said, or who are, who are interested in like, trying out what we're doing on, on tokens or, and or, or even other NFT platforms.
2: Yeah. I mean, NFTs and the kind of whole world of cryptocurrency and digital, you know, this kind of digital DeFi world is, is brilliant and new. And it's, um, you know, when you first approached me and when, when I was connected with you, I feel like I was, I was really intimidated and, and scared as a, as a parent first, like, ah, like, this is not like, it just sounds terrifying, right? Like this, I don't, I don't play in that world too much. And, um, you know, and my, fir- my first, my first knee jerk reaction was probably, well, why do we, you know, why are we like getting kids involved with like Bitcoin? <laughs> this is, like, it's too much. Like, this is already so overwhelming as a world. And as I, you know, I think I've become much more of a, like, come to learn and understand that this is just an opportunity. Um it's, this world is happening. And and the fact that me as an adult, that I'm intimidated by it, like that's, that doesn't help my child. Like that doesn't help them become, have better access to understanding this world. If, if, I, if I am preventing them from the accessibility from a p- potential learning platform, that's not, that doesn't move our society forward either. Like that's, I'm prohibiting their world. Um, and what i saw right away especially in getting to work with you is like it's an opportunity to actually do it the right way um you know to 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 make sure that this 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 is gonna happen left or right you know however i think kids will start entering into nfts and um, the opportunity to collect and share and you quarrel within the dojo like there's all kinds of cool things and contribute to like a larger greater good of it too and there's so many cool things chances to do it. And it's happening already. And there's so many adults that love it. Um, And I really kind of reckon it to like baseball cards, like back in the day, like this opportunity to do these neat things. Um, So if you do it right, it can be really, really special for a kid. And what I love about um, the company is that it's a way for parents and kids to do it together so instead of like me being nervous about it is like you're teaching kind of financial digital currency literacy at a kid level which would be my learning level for this <laughs> like that's what i need right um right. you know like baby steps little chunks to like understand what this world is and it's it's important like just like anything else like we why not give anybody the access to like understanding This the language around it, um, the currency, the opportunities, and then obviously just kind of that the brands and the fun of collecting, then, you know, why not do this like this is this is not going to, it's not going to hurt it's just a really cool opportunity to, to kind of play in this other sphere, and it's, it's happening. So you might as well do it the right way. (laughs) These are, these are my philosophies I like,
0: All right, this is good. Makes sense to me. Thank you so much, Maureen. Really appreciate you coming on today, sharing your your research, your experience, your wisdom, and just your you know a common sense approach as a parent too. Like it's very helpful to us, very illuminating to me. So just you know, on behalf of myself and Crypto thank you so much. And you know, Jeff, is there any any final remarks or questions that you have?
1: Seconded. You said it very well, uh, Maureen. Great to meet you. Thank you for joining us. I hope we get to have you back.
0: Thank you for having
2: me. This is great. And um, only good things to come.
0: Is there any um, where that people should find you or follow you, Maureen? Always like to give you an opportunity for that, too.
2: Um,
0: not properly. No, I, I'm
2: Maureen, Maureen Mock with All Is Well Entertainment, and you know you can find me through Iris at <laughs> this point
0: or through the University of Wisconsin-Madison, find me that way. Sounds good. Thanks again. And yes, mm-hmm. we'll definitely hope to have you back, Maureen. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for listening to our, our listeners out there. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Tokens podcast or follow us on so and follow us on social media. Uh, that's it for this one. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.